I thought we'd um, start tonight actually with an interview that was on the post-election special of the News Hub Nation show on 3. Not normally all that widely watched on account of being a bit of a niche show on a weekend uh, morning time slot. In fact, I had a little look and for New Zealand On Air puts out a list of the 10 top rated local programs uh, each week according to Nielsen. And the week before the election, the News Hub Nation wasn't even on it. Uh, the 10th place show had 44,000 viewers, so possibly not that many viewers. Maybe more for the morning after an election. However, uh, Tova O'Brien, the political editor at News Hub, her interview with Jamie Lee Ross, leader of the electorally unsuccessful Advanced New Zealand Party, uh, that got a much, much bigger audience because it went viral. So even people who haven't maybe seen it or heard the interview, possibly read about it or uh, heard, or saw fragments of it on- online. So it was only uh, four minutes long, um, but uh, it began fairly ruggedly with Toba O'Brien saying, well, Jamie Lee Ross, thanks for coming in, but you've lost uh, and you, you failed. Uh, you're effectively out of politics for this moment on. And then she went on to basically accuse him of um, of using COVID scaremongering for votes. You know exactly what you were doing. You were whipping up fear and hysteria among vulnerable communities. Not at all. If you go and look at the mortality rate of COVID-19 compared to other um, flu epidemics... I'm going to stop. No, I'm not, I don't, so, don't so, want to so, hear, so, so, hear any well, of, I don't want to hear any of that rubbish. You what are you, what give are, me that and not allow me to answer. Well, so. if, you're going to come on, if you're going to come on the show and say things which are just factually incorrect, I can do that, actually. Politics is all, you, all you've known. What are you going to do? What are you going to do after this? I think it's time for a rest. Uh... <laughs> yeah, time for a rest. But uh, before he got his rest, there were two or three more minutes more of questioning like that. So it was a fairly rugged encounter. But it was interesting. She did uh, pretty much get uh, Jamie Lee Ross to admit there that he uh, was attracted by Billy Tikahika Jr. and his New Zealand Public Party because of their huge following on Facebook and that he saw that as a, as a political opportunity. So, I mean, for anyone who hadn't already worked it out, there it was on the record and it prompted um, the stuff political correspondent Henry Cook to ask on Twitter whether that interview might be the most popular thing that New Zealand on air had ever funded on account of having uh, millions of viewers online on social media all around the world. <laughs> well, why did it strike such a chord overseas where both of those players are unknown? Yeah, good question, but the I guess for different reasons. Um, people like, for example, Piers Morgan, um, you know, former British newspaper editor now. He would have um, loved it. Yeah, he did. Well, he likes a stir, doesn't he? He loves to see politicians taken down a peg or two, did when he, he did when he was a tabloid uh, newspaper editor and does now as a TV presenter and chat show host. Uh, the Guardian's correspondent Owen Jones, uh, very much the other side of the spectrum, I guess, a, a real left, left-wing left uh, opinion figure. Um, he's got a big following on social media. He just liked seeing what he thought was a far-right politician getting taken down. Um, David Farrier, back here in, in New Zealand, he applauded Tove O'Brien too. I guess the two would be colleagues at the old TV3. Um, but he has a, 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 a newsletter called Webworm, uh, and blog, which uh, has an international audience where he uh, really investigates um, COVID-19 misinformation and uh, online conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. He said, well, he was clearly um, enjoyed the way that she made him accountable for spreading misinformation and prevented him, as you heard in that piece of audio there, from uh, having an opportunity to say any more. She definitely shut that one down. And uh, the New York University journalism professor and a bit of a journalism thinker, Jay Rosen, 
Uh, he was also among those who really liked. He just thought the forthright not, uh, forthrightness of the interview was really good. Uh, he put it on Twitter and said, um, on the righteous pleasure scale, this rates 10 out of 10. You will want to watch this New Zealand journalist grill an alt-right politician the way it should be done. And uh, he went on to marvel at how Jamie Lee Ross actually took the onslaught fairly calmly. And when he engaged in a bit of back and forward from people who were trying to tell him who Jamie Lee Ross was and a bit of the context of this, uh, he said, look, um, thanks for the context. Most of us don't know the political or media culture in New Zealand, but we're just desperate. Uh, we're desperately in need for a vision that shows us how this can be done, uh, this interaction with these politicians. So, uh, yeah, he he really admired it for that reason. Um, but look, there were others who found the approach either just plain rude um, or unnecessarily kind of dismissive. And given the fact that he'd failed in an election, that it was a bit um, gloating. And others pointed out to Jay Rosen and others that, um, you know, Jamie Lee Ross is now a not significant political player and also as we know in this country he's uh, had a track record of mental health problems which will emerge when he was in the headlines uh, last year year before so some people felt that this might have been a bit of an exercise in kind of punching down on the part of uh, news hub and is that a fair point in your opinion well there's an element of that i mean it's clearly down and out but you know tober o'brien had been brought in to host the morning after show for the election He'd fronted up to the election, conducted himself the way he did and engaged in what was a bit of clear political opportunism. He's going to front up for an interview. Uh, why not? I think it was completely fair. Um, also, Tova O'Brien did want to ask him, um, it was a bit of a loaded question, but to apologise to people he had hurt in his political career. And again, he's acknowledged that uh, at times when he wasn't well and making bad choices and so on, and we've heard about um, reports of bullying and all sorts of things, a, a bad relationship with another MP, Sarah Dowie, and so on. So, you know, she also wanted to talk to him about that. So all fair enough. Um, but the one thing, uh, say, for example, Donald Trump's niece, I think it is Mary Trump, I think she's his niece, she was on Twitter saying, look, look at this, look what's possible when an interview, interviewer just can't care less if a guest is going to come back on her show. And for some critics, that was really the point, that she was only going after him so hard because he was a spent political force. And uh, she'd even said to him right at the start, this will probably be the last time we have you on because she thought he was a spent force. And, you know, she probably uh, wouldn't burn bridges with someone who was still a significant figure. And my mind went back to when he was in the headlines uh, last year when he was at war with the National Party and so on. The relationship with Sarah Dowie, the MP, uh, had become public knowledge and the fact that there was a text message that was investigated by the police uh, because it was so abusive and uh, potentially harmful and so on. At that point... Uh, Tova O'Brien climbed into a van with Jamie Lee Ross and, and drove around his, his botany electorate and they talked about um, the effect uh, that it had on him. Here's a little piece of that. Jamie Lee Ross says that text led to his nervous breakdown. Driving around his electorate, Jamie Lee Ross revisits the worst moment of his life. It was my children that stopped me from actually going through with hurting myself. Police have now confirmed they're investigating an abusive text message sent to Ross by an MP he had an affair with, telling him he deserved to die. Now, later on, Sarah Dowie MP, when she left Parliament, she gave uh, some interviews, uh, including one to Newsroom's Melanie Reid, where she said 
that uh, Jamie V. Ross had been allowed to kind of uh, shape the narrative of that relationship that broke down between the two. You know, she called him a predator and so on. So, you know, there's a bit of a different light there when she, uh, when he was in the headlines and what he was doing was deemed newsworthy, you know, happy to build up a relationship which led to them driving around and getting this intimate story uh, filmed in the back of a van. So, yeah, different story when he's out of politics, maybe. Mm, lots of texts coming through. This one says, I loathe the interview. There was no triumph in beating up a stupid, powerless, sometime mentally unwell man. Now, if she'd struck the same tone with Don Brash after Orua or the equivalent Judith Collins in one of her sillier moments. So there's plenty of opinion out there about that particular interview. Yeah, and it, it did strike me. It wasn't. I was trying to think of parallels with it, and I was thinking of some of Guy and Espiner's encounters with Winston Peters, um, when uh, that famous one I think, <laughs> was kind of memed as well, where it, exasperated Guy and was not satisfied with uh, Winston's explanation. Oh, come on, mate! You know you don't seriously expect us to believe that. And that's when those barriers, the normal politeness or, or uh, respect, maybe between an interviewee and a host, um, break down a little bit. And another one sprang to mind, actually a British one. I'll play you a bit of that in a minute. Um, this was last year, um, and it's the long-serving host of Channel 4 News, which is a very respected um, uh, television news program, night, nightly news show. John Snow, he's been around for ages, and he tore into one of the Conservatives' ministers, Matt Hancock. Um, this was uh, after a, quite, a, quite a way through a lengthy interview about uh, what a mess Brexit had turned out to be. I hope, Secretary of State, you know better than I do that Parliament is, for once, deeply representative of the country. It's completely asunder. Nobody in the country knows what's going on. Nobody in there knows what's going on. And you know nothing about what's going on, even inside the Cabinet. The Cabinet is at sea. The country's at sea. We are a laughing stock. So, I mean, that was fairly mild, right, um, and, and still polite. Uh, but that clip, that, that really did make an impact at the time because because he was a, a fairly straight player, Jon Snow, that to hear him going off like that at a minister who you could see, I mean, when you can see the visuals of that clip, in fact, that's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our page for this week's Midweek Media Watch, if you want to see the whole thing, uh, you can see he's looking quite shocked, <laughs> the minister. And the point of that is that um, Matt Hancock later became, or is now currently, the health minister. So he's fronting the whole Brexit drama, uh, sorry, the COVID-19 uh, drama in the UK, uh, all sorts of criticism of how that's been communicated and how decisions have been made. And so that clip has been doing the rounds recently in the British media and online saying, well, you know, how could we expect it to go smoothly? It's this guy, remember Jon Snow, having a crack at him. And it's because Jon Snow wouldn't often do that. And in this case, it was a guy with power. He's still a senior conservative cabinet minister in the Boris Johnson government. Uh, so that's why it has... Um, it has an impact. But it does have parallels as well with, with Tove O'Brien's one because I think they've just decided with these two people, you know, this is one thing where your your standard sort of media-trained deflection and dissembling isn't going to cut it. We are going to have to actually call out uh, your behaviour here. And, uh, yeah, that that's what I, I guess they had in common. A lot of international response to our election result, of course, and I've been seeing Charlotte Graham McClay's name uh, come up a lot in The Guardian. She does a lot of articles for them. Yeah, that's right. I'm ex of RNZ, but uh, she she is now one of The Guardian's correspondents uh, based uh, in in Wellington. Uh, She wrote a piece, this was published on Monday under the headline, Why New Zealand Rejected Populist Ideas 
other nations have embraced. Um, and it was a pretty positive piece, of, I guess, about this country and its political culture. Uh, but one strong point about the media was made. This was from the left-leaning pundit and lobbyist, uh, you know, who would have seen lots of during the election campaign, David Cormack. Uh, he said... Um, a huge reason our politics is not so extremely polarised and so far out there is because we no longer have Murdoch-owned press in New Zealand. It's never taken a foothold. And it's, yeah, many, many years. I think when Murdoch was a younger man, he did have um, ownership of a couple of New Zealand titles, but that's way in the distant past now. And, you know, broadly speaking, we don't have um, press or media owners who are you know have a political interest as they do in other countries. And our political reporting partly as a result of that, and that's not the only reason, is basically uh, non-aligned, although some people see it a different way. Um, But when you read, I mean, the Murdoch press he's talking about there in Australia, in fact, a piece published, I think it was yesterday, Danger Across the Ditch as Incompetent Leader Ardern Wins Office. This was in The Australian. That's a comment piece, so just one guy's opinion. But it's written by a guy from a right-leaning Australian think tank. You know, you take a look at his output, and he's got... Clearly, he's got a whole lot of chips on his shoulder and various issues that he rails about. And, uh, you know, they, they, this is a think tank that has supported uh, the Rupert Murdoch papers line. They've supported um, governments that lean to the right in, in Australia, the Howard government, uh, the Tony Abbott government after that. And, um, yeah, the piece is extremely one-sided. And it even quotes uh, Oliver Hartwich from the New Zealand Initiative saying, The next few years will be tough. If we don't get our economic house in order, New Zealand could end up a failed state, which I think would strike most readers uh, with any knowledge of what's really going on here is is way over the top. Um, In fact, that was also published um, in a stuff piece by um, political editor here, Luke Malpass, on Sunday, day after the election. And in in fact, it's something Oliver Hartwich has said as long ago as May, thinking ahead about what, you know, how bad the economic fallout could be. He's not seriously suggesting that uh, New Zealand political and economic order is about to topple over. Um, but you can see how uh, politically motivated columnists will seize on that, and Rupert Murdoch's paper's only too happy to print it. And in the same vein, the Australian's foreign editor uh, said, you know, no international halo is so shabby or fraudulent as that one by, uh, worn by uh, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. That was about three days before the election. And I heard that discussed on News Talk ZB, and some of them were saying, oh, why don't we have journalists prepared to, you know, rack up our, our leaders, and particularly, you know, the left, left and Jacinda Ardern like that. But, you know, these, these are pretty bad faith arguments. It's because of the editorial line of the Australian and, and its proprietor. And, uh, you know, I think David Cormack's probably right, and it's good we don't have that sort of um, press here in New Zealand. And it's not only the right wing that does it, though, is it? No, no, good point. And in fact, The Guardian, um, where we started with Charlotte's piece about New Zealand, which will have a global audience in the UK, um, I mean, it's always been like this. It's been a left-leaning paper, and it does um, hammer Boris Johnson's Tories every chance it gets. And one funny piece, it's actually by the economics editor, uh, so presumably quite a, a learned and experienced journalist, but he wrote a piece comparing Boris Johnson's handling of the Brexit process in Europe to um, Henry VIII trying to break 
with Rome, <laughs> you know, back in what I guess some some point in the what fifteen hundreds, and uh, the uh, producer of uh, the kids' show Horrible Histories uh, climbed onto Twitter saying this is all wrong. Not even we would make this um, dumbed down, dodgy analogy. You know, this is bad history. So I mean, pretty bad to be fact checked by a, a maker of a kids' <laughs> history show. I think. Yeah, seven year old. That's great. Mm. <laughs> well, it's a show for seven year olds. Yeah, well, for for little kids, it's actually not bad. I mean, um, in fact, people climbed on uh, Greg. Jenna's Twitter feed and go, oh, actually, look, I'm in my 40s and this is how I learn my history. Is it wrong for me to watch horrible histories? But it's not. You, you can certainly watch it. And have politicians here complained about bias in the election reporting? I'm yeah. sure they have. Yeah, there's been a little bit of that. In fact, earlier um, in the week, um, before the election, Judith Collins complained a bit about it. She said that the press gallery was um, was bad and uh, <laughs> basically said something along the lines of, um, when I talked to some of these journalists uh, I feel like I'm talking to the press secretary for the prime minister. And she was talking to Mike Hosking at the time, who said, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And uh, Jerry Brownlee complained, complained about it the day after the election as well, telling Q&A that, um, that in particular the, their rivals at News Hub gave them a good old kicking. And others do think that News Hub and others have have perhaps made it hard on, harder on national than the government. But... Um, Look, you know, there's always those sorts of arguments and, you know, you can see how it's going in the States if you really want to see it. Um, And there's a piece in the New York Times, desperate reading about Republican operatives buying up local papers and paying freelance journalists to write propaganda stories for Republican candidates in those areas. That's how bad it gets when you do have proprietors that have a genuine political skin in the game. We don't have that here and we should be grateful.